Galatians chapter five. We've come to this chapter and we're starting the chapter today, verses one through six. From that passage, I want to bring you a message that I call only faith. The phrase comes from verse six, the great message from heaven through the pen of the apostle Paul to a bewitched group of Galatians who have been bewitched and enticed into following another gospel. There's only one gospel. And that gospel is simply this, justified by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. Christ saves us. We cannot save ourselves. Christ keeps us. We cannot keep ourselves saved. And the truth of that comes into our lives when we are born again, when we are regenerated. The power of Christ through his Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And life becomes something anew in Christ. And we come to learn daily that we depend more and more on him, less and less upon ourselves. The Galatians had been bewitched by the group called the Judaizers who would follow the apostle Paul and try to convince Gentiles who had been saved, who had come by faith to Christ, convince them that they needed to follow the Jewish law or they couldn't be saved. In other words, you had to become a Jew before you could uh, become a Christian. Well, of course, that's crazy. But the Apostle Paul, as we've seen through the first four chapters, in the strongest language, has attacked the error of the Galatians. I mean, Paul has attacked it with strong language. You don't see this gentle hand of Paul expressing his love and care until you get on into the chapter four because he goes on the attack immediately. And that, uh, that attack on this false gospel, those trying to bring in another gospel, that attack continues in Galatians chapter five because the foundation of the gospel is faith in Christ. Why in the world would God send his only son to suffer and die the way in which he suffered and died if it was only part of what we need, if it was partial? We had to do something previous to it or we had to do something after it. We had to do something in addition to what Christ did. Why would, why would the son of God come and just sort of take up where we left off or whatever. And this is what the Apostle Paul is addressing. So today let's look at these verses one through six in chapter five. Only faith. Paul begins, and I want to make six points from these six verses, all right? The first point is this, freedom. In freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm. Stekete is the Greek word, stand firm. It, it's an imperative. It's in the present tense, which means it's something that goes on and on and on. But it's also in the imperative, which means that it's a command. 
So this is an apostolic command. In Ephesians, we learn that in the ascension of Christ, his ascension gifts, there were first apostles, then prophets, and then evangelists, and then pastors and teachers. So in the early church, there were prophets. I mean, there were apostles. The apostles laid the foundation. They were the ones who gave to us the New Testament. And they were especially gifted. And we are, we're under a mandate to observe and follow the doctrine of the apostles. That's what they did in the book of Acts. It's seen in chapter 2. That hasn't stopped. That's where we are today. You can't add to that. You can't take away from it. We're still under the mandate to teach and follow the doctrine of the apostles. This is the apostle Paul. He's issuing a mandate. Stand firm. Stand firm in freedom, the freedom in which Christ has set us free. How are we free? We're free from the penalty of sin in Christ. Christ died on the cross in my behalf. He suffered, bled, and died in my place. So the penalty that, I was, that was due to me, through which I would suffer in eternity in the lake of fire, Christ took it upon himself and horrifically suffered in the passion to the ultimate and final moment of his death on the cross. So he's, I'm free from the penalty of sin. Hell has no power over me. I'm free from the fear of death. Death has no power over me. The fear of death has no power over me. Christ has conquered the grave. And Romans 8 says that the same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead will also raise me up from the dead because my faith is in Christ. I am in Christ. So I'm also set free from the guilt of sin. The enemy will try to torment me. He is my accuser. He appears even now to accuse me before the Father in heaven. We've been learning in our study in the Revelation on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights of the time yet to come where he is finally booted out of heaven with all of his demons and they don't have access to heaven anymore. So the accuser of the brethren is cast down. He's my accuser. Sure, I slip up. I'm carrying around a body of death as Paul described in Romans 7. I, I, I have this old, this old pot of clay here that, that has its flaws and its faults, but I'm being sanctified and strengthened daily by the power of Christ. Not by my power, but by the power of Christ. Satan will lay a trap for me all along. It's, it's incumbent upon me to study the word, to be obedient to the word, and then I can recognize when I'm headed to a trap if I'm careful, but sometimes I fall in. And I'm accused. We've learned that the Son of God is at the right hand of the Father. He bears the marks of the cross. All he has to do is to intercede for me and say, Father, he is one of those whom you have given to me. No accusation can stand. If God is for us, Romans 8, who can be against us? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody. It won't stand. So I'm free from the guilt of sin. Oh, listen. Here's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. You, a believer pursues sin, enjoys it. 
an unbeliever. A believer doesn't pursue sin. I got it right. I, I, have, I have my critique every Sunday afternoon after the service. <laughs> An unbeliever enjoys pursuing sin. That's, that's, his, that's his job. That's his fallen nature. An unbeliever is dead in sin. That's where he lives. But a redeemed believer has been lifted up out of that. Now, we don't pursue it, but we stumble into it from time to time. But here's the difference. A believer falls under immediate conviction and sorrow because of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And what happens, we confess, I have sinned. Forgive me. Help me. I have sinned. So if John writes, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a benefit of being in Christ. Christ's blood continually cleanses. The righteousness of Christ is ever covering me. So I'm free in that sense. I'm also free from trying to be something that I cannot be. Namely, a perfect person in this life. I'm walking in this life, growing in the Lord, prayer daily, many times a day, Bible study, seeking to live in obedience, discovering on a daily basis things in my life that need to be cleansed, that need to be forsaken, that need to be put away. Yesterday I didn't recognize that, but today God's word has made me understand that there's something in my life that's wrong that needs to be put away. And so I ask God for forgiveness. The spirit of God in my life gives me strength and carries me through. And so I'm growing and I'm maturing as a believer every day. That process doesn't stop all the way through my life. I'm, but, but I know that Christ in me will direct me in the kind of life that I need to live. However, those who have entangled themselves in a yoke of slavery are ever seeking to live a life they cannot live. Seeking to please God in a way by which he will never be pleased. Because there are no amount of works. There's, 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 no, there's no amount of following the law of Moses or or creating righteousness for myself so that I can proclaim I'm walking this righteous path and then I'll always be discovering something else where somebody else has said, well, this is right or this is not right. Man, that is, that is a burden of slavery. My life is in Christ. It isn't in me. It's in Christ. So Christ starts me out as an infant in the faith and I mature. The maturing process is a daily thing. It's a lifelong thing. And I walk more and more with Christ. He becomes more special to me every day. I learn more about him and the bond of love between us grows and grows and grows. Do not entangle yourselves again 
in a yoke of slavery. Why would you not want freedom in Christ? Why would you drive yourself mad, always creating things to do or not to do maybe? Believing that by your own power you can save yourself? That never works. So that leads us to the next thing. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you shall become circumcised. Now, one of the things that the Judaizers were telling the Gentile men that they had to, be, that they had to observe if they wanted to be saved was they had to become a part of, of the seed of Abraham in a, in a proselyte sense. And therefore, they had to subject themselves to circumcision. If you become now circumcised, number three, you will profit nothing. When I was in the Holy Land the first time, many, many years ago, we went up that uh, path to the cross, you know. It has a name, something way. What? Via Dolorosa, something like that. I didn't speak that language back then. But the rocks had been removed. The, the original rocks had been removed. That was the path to the cross and had been placed in a Roman Catholic church. And the belief was and this would have been a long, this was a fairly long trip up there to where the cross was in the Golgotha. The belief was that in that church, I forgot where they located those rocks. If you got on your knees at the bottom on the first rock that came from the way of the cross. And you crawled on your knees and this was a long way up. You crawled on every step, every rock, praying and asking for forgiveness and praying to Mary. Then by the time on your knees that you reached the last rock, you would be cleansed of your sin. It was a very popular thing. People did it all the time. They stood in line to do it, to crawl up that thing on their knees. An orthopedic surgeon was probably behind the whole thing. I don't know. <laughs> this has been hundreds of years people have been doing this. Crazy stuff like that. You know. Put your forehead on a bottle and spin around three times. I mean, what can you say? Anybody can make up anything and declare this is going to make you better. I tell you, you want to follow some work of the law, some special behavior, doesn't matter what it is. And you think you can add that to the work of Christ? You will not profit a thing. It gets worse. 
I testify again to you that every man being circumcised that, number four, he is a debtor from then on to keep the law. Did you know that the Bible says if you are guilty of, of breaking one little part of the law, you're guilty of the whole law, you're under the penalty of death, and you cannot save yourself. So now you're, you're going to have to keep all of the law from then on. That's just a part of the whole. Circumcision is a part of the whole of the law. So now if you're going to pursue one thing, you're going to have to spend the rest of your life pursuing all of the other things. Even the Pharisees couldn't do it. They kept writing. They had, well, I think like 600 things that ways that you could and could not keep the Sabbath. It was impossible. Nobody could even remember the stuff that you had to do or, or didn't have to do. The point of the law is you can't keep it. That's the point of the law. The point of the law is here's God's perfect standard and you will never reach it. Therefore, you are a sinner and you're in need of grace. Not works, grace. You try this, you start out on that path not only will it not do a thing for you, it won't save you, but you'll have to, for the rest of your life, be indebted to keep all of the law of Moses. But it gets worse. Number five, you are severed from Christ. Whoever are being justified in the law severed from Christ. Let me tell you the importance that God places on sending his only begotten son to die on the cross for sin. It is all of Christ or none of Christ. It is either works or faith. It is either Salvation in Christ or damnation outside of Christ. Christ is everything. Christ is all in all. We have our faith in Christ. We come to him by faith, unable to save ourselves, being greatly under the burden of sin, convicted in the knowledge that we are not good, there's no good thing in me. And I need a savior. I need a righteousness that is not mine. I need to give my penalty and my burden and my guilt to one who can take it. And I need the righteousness of one who has never sinned, who is willing to cover me in his righteousness and in exchange, take all that's wrong with me and put it away. And then I need to understand that he takes upon himself the responsibility of placing his Holy Spirit in my life. So that when I'm saved, now I have the Holy Spirit of God. I've been born again and I have a different outlook. And as I walk through life and I come under the obedience of the word of God, I learn more and more on a daily basis 
of how to live obediently. And more and more understanding how Christ now lives in me and works through me in my life. That never stops. This is the unction of a believer. We must worship him. We must believe him. We must love him. We must have faith in him. In everything. Not just, not just in some things. The most horrible thing in Christendom through the years is the damnable error that has been imposed upon the church, proclaimed to the church that Christ does most of it, but you have to do the rest of it. Why do you think he said to the woman after his resurrection, turn loose of me. I have not yet ascended to my father. He had already died to save me. But now he has to go and to become the great high priest as described in Hebrews 7 to keep me saved. It's all of Christ. So that some infinitely glorious day in the rapture and resurrection and the glorification of my body and the distribution of crowns, I can only cast the crown back to Christ because the only way I was able to survive was by Christ in me. He died to save me. He lives to keep me saved. And he's coming again for me. He knows how to spank me when I've done wrong. He knows how to touch the right buttons to keep me going. You know, the beautiful 23rd Psalm, here is... Here is the great shepherd leading the sheep. Now the sheep follow the shepherd. He never looks back. He just keeps going and they keep following. But just in case, at the end, at the back of the line, he has two sheepdogs, goodness and mercy. Radaf shall pursue me, shall chase after me all the days of my life. So they, if I happen to think that that weed looks good enough to eat and I try to take a bite, this dog gonna bark at me, put me back in where I need to be. He has assumed the responsibility by covenant, by eternal covenant. You see, the father gave the son the gift of his elect before the foundation of the world. Thus the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. The, the, the death of the Lamb before the foundation. These things are eternally determined. Eternally. And he assumes a responsibility. I said the, the, the Hebrew word is, is uh, covenant love. It, it's sometimes translated mercy in the Old Testament. He assumes the responsibility in that covenant because he will, he said in John, John 6, he said, of all that the Father has given to me, I will not lose one. Not one. Now, If I come into this thing and I think that I've got to 
add my strength to what Christ does. I'm not part of it. I'm severed from Christ. Not only that, number six, you have fallen away from grace. This is probably best described in Hebrews chapters six and 10. Some people really choke on that part in Hebrews. I think it's in six. You know, you've, you've, you've been enlightened and, and, and you've, 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 you've tasted the gift and all. But now you want to crucify Christ all over again. You cannot be renewed to repentance. The letter is to the Hebrews. What Paul is describing here is something that the Hebrew people had such a hard time with. They'd grown up under the law. The law was so important to them. So in the first generation of believers, most of whom were Jews, they kept thinking, well, I've got to keep the law. I, I can't be completely saved just in Christ. I have to do something for myself. And the point is made you think in Hebrews, you think Christ is going to come back and die for you every time you sin? Whoops, I sinned today. Well, Christ got to go back to Jerusalem, die all over you. That's not, that's that's not going to happen. Later on in Hebrews, he said this thing is once for all. Once for all. Some of these people, these Galatians, stepped up to the precipice. And they just fell back from grace. Do you know there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians today who step right up to the precipice and they fall away from grace. Grace alone cannot save me. I must do something. I must do something to make it happen, to seal the deal, to keep myself saved. They've come right to the precipice and they've fallen away from grace. It's all of Christ or none of Christ. Can you understand what the apostle is saying here? You will profit nothing. You add something to it, you'll profit nothing. You are severed from Christ. It's all Christ. We wake up in the morning thanking Christ for salvation, reading his word, talking to him in prayer. Trusting him to guide us and to lead us. That's what faith is. Faith in Christ. We spend our day thinking of the Lord. Oh God, which way shall I go? What shall I do? Drive me to your word. Give me an answer. Help me. And we grow in that. And we grow in that. And we grow in that. If we think we can add something to it, we are severed from Christ. I can't think, there's nothing worse. There is nothing worse in all of eternity, in all of existence, in all of creation. There is nothing worse than to be severed from Christ. Nothing. You have fallen away from grace. You beheld it. You were enlightened to the real gospel, which is nothing but saved by grace. And you fell away from it. You fell away. 
We can only be saved by grace. There's nothing we can add to it. There's nothing required of us. Christ did it all. Christ did everything. And I am in Christ. I trust him every day. I have faith in him. I know that his blood is sufficient for me. That his righteousness covers me. That, I, that God the Father has imputed his righteousness to me. And I'm justified. That's justification. And thus I'm set apart. That's sanctification. To grow in Christ. And someday I will be raptured or raised from the dead. And that's glorification. And I will live in glory in a body that can never ever be subject to sin. Ever again. Only outfitted to live a life in eternity with, with the Lord. To offer praise, worship, thanksgiving, and to do things for Christ as directed. It's, we, the eye hasn't seen, the ear hasn't heard. It's not even been put into the heart of man. You can't even imagine the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him. In Christ, by grace. That's it. Finally, the conclusion. For we, now let me go back. You see how many times the pronoun you is used? I, Paul, say to you that if you shall become circumcised. You see how, that, how that's used? But now it's we. There are those who had not fallen away from grace. They were saved by grace, sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Nothing can touch them. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, eagerly await. Okay. Let me go up here. Apic decometha. It's a long Greek word. Eagerly Oh, wait, let me tell you about that word. It's in the present, which means it's a continuous action. It's in the indicative. It's not a, it can't be an imperative. However, it is in the middle voice. Here's what that means. It's in the middle voice. Now, the whole subject is righteousness here. Righteousness. Do I do I do I do something to get my own righteousness or does God Cover me with righteousness. Well, all right now. Being in the middle voice, eagerly await. To be in the middle voice means that the subject is being acted upon. So the subject is we. We eagerly await. We're being acted upon. And in the middle voice, to be acted upon is also to receive the effects of the action. What is the action? The hope of righteousness. Now it's in the present. It goes on. It's continued. It goes on and on and on. Here's what he's saying. Righteousness we know by the spirit of faith in our hearts. We know that righteousness is a gift of God. 
It's not something that we can demand, that we can pay for or work for. It is a gift of God. That's what he's saying. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has power. It's power, strength, force. Has no strength. Whether I do something or don't, that doesn't have any strength. It is Christ in me and it is my faith in Christ that works through love in my life. The Bible says, John writes and he says, you know what? We didn't love God first. He loved us first. So God so loved me in this way that he gave his only begotten son. Now in that, in that love that he gives to me and brings me to himself, he gives me the gift of faith. And I fall in love with him. And I love him more every day. Love every day. And faith works through love in Christ. It doesn't work in my strength. There is no strength in what I do or don't do. It doesn't have any. It doesn't have any. Neither circumcision nor, that's in the negative you see, that doesn't have any strength or power. Only in Christ, the gift of God, which is righteousness, that comes to me by my faith in Christ. And it does the working through love in my life. It does all the work. I just have faith in Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died a vicarious death on the cross. He was in the grave for three days. He was raised up gloriously from the grave. He has ascended into heaven. He's coming again someday. He is the only begotten Son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father but by Him. He does it all for me. And this is the great gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't come to a church. You don't come to an action. You don't come to a mode of behavior. You come to Christ. And Christ takes care of everything for the rest of your life, even into eternity. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. In these present days of, of social distancing and, and so forth, we handle our greeting with each other differently. For those who are guests, we, we are accustomed at the first of our service to walk around and greet everybody and especially welcome our guests. But we've... We've deferred that for now, and we just want you to know that you're welcome, and we love you, and thank you for being here. But we also handle our invitation differently. Suffice it for me to say three things that are important to you. Number one, salvation. It's only in Christ. There's no other way to be saved. 
except through Christ. Salvation. Number two, baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. But it is part of the Great Commission in that believers make this great statement to others that the old person is gone and I've been raised to walk in newness of life. It's a beautiful testimony. Baptism. The third thing is church membership. There are examples in the New Testament of how churches would send letters along with people who, was, who were leaving their congregation and going to other cities and they were aware of a church in that city and they would send a letter of recommendation. We're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So church membership is vitally important to a Christian. Where we study God's word, we are discipled and then we can help disciple others. We worship together, pray for one another, glorify Christ together, fellowship together, church membership. So be saved, number one. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then Christ says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a great testimony after you're saved. Believer's baptism. And then be a part of the fellowship. Be a part of a local church. We invite you to be a part of who we are if you don't have a church. This is God's great, great, great direction for us. In a moment, we're going to be dismissed. And we have deacons and their wives at standing. They'll be at doors as you leave. There are a couple of rooms that you'll see to your left on the way out. And those are rooms that we have designed for you. If you want to receive Christ, if you want to follow the Lord in baptism, if you want to become a part of this church, our deacons and their wives are prepared to speak with you about it, to pray with you, and to record any decision that you might make today. So if, it's, if God has placed it on your heart, you stop by there and let them minister to you, okay? Father God in heaven, thank you for the day, for your precious holy word. For all that it means to us, thank you for sending your only begotten son to die for us. For the great salvation that is ours in him through faith. For your grace so freely given to those who are so undeserving of anything that you'd do for us. And thank you for our time together today. May it be used for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. You have an announcement?